Well, good evening, everyone. It's very good to be with you. I have to admit, I approached this service with a degree of nervousness because it was billed as a contemporary carol service, and I wondered what such a thing might be. Two of the students in the audience suggested that I deliver this talk in some form of urban rap. The problem is I, I simply do not understand the jargon used by Gen Z. I was speaking at a, a university campus some weeks ago, and before I got up to speak, uh, a girl was um, uh, announcing the, the uh, uh, availability of some branded sweatshirts. And to persuade her audience to buy this clothing, uh, she declared that it was the swaggiest merch. Um, now, I have to say, the next elders' meeting, I spent desperately any attempt, looking for any attempt to introduce uh, this terminology into the conversation. I think I, I actually suggested that Bible teachers should wear cassocks on the grounds that it would be the swaggiest merch. Anyway, having tipped my, my hat to uh, contemporary culture, I'm not going to ignore it. The Road Not Taken is a poem by the famous American poet Robert Frost. It tells the story of a man walking through a forest, and suddenly he comes to a fork in the pathway, and he's forced to make a choice. And the last two lines of Frost's poem read like this. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. There are two ways to think about the Christmas story. The usual way is to treat it as a sentimental metaphor for hope. We often use it as a sort of religious background to a celebration of family and good cheer in a dark world. Well, for the next few minutes, I want to take the road less traveled and examine the Christmas story as an account of real people with real emotions who were often in real trouble. Once we remove the halos uh, from the stylized portraits of Mary and Joseph, it suddenly becomes apparent that the Christmas story was, has real emotional depth. This couple experienced joy, betrayal, confusion, despair, loneliness, anxiety, and love. As our reading showed us, Luke tells us Mary's story while Matthew records Joseph's story. And it's a really interesting exercise to put the two stories together. We first meet Mary as a young girl, probably still a teenager. She is intelligent and spiritual. Her personality is a lovely mix of innocent eagerness and a thoughtful awareness of the dark side of life. And it's the innocent and happy side of her character that reacts to the angel Gabriel's announcement that she has been chosen by God to give us a savior. The song we call the Magnificat is bursting with joy. But now let's cross over to Joseph's story, as recorded by Matthew. And you can feel the pain in that good man's heart as he considers how best to end his engagement to Mary. He had not believed Mary's story about her angelic visitor. No one in that conservative Jewish culture would have had any reason to believe her story. So let's imagine how both of them must have felt at that point in their relationship. I think of Mary sitting in her parents' house. No one believed her. Not her sister, not her mom and dad, not the man she loved. There were no noble angels around to strengthen her faith. All she had were those words from God. How lonely Mary must have felt in those dark hours. In the taverns of Nazareth, the story told was one of marital infidelity. But Mary walked the road less traveled. She walked by faith. And she had to walk alone. No one walked beside her. All she could cling to was the words 
uh, that she had heard from God. But suddenly there's a knock on the door. She hears Joseph's voice and she starts to pace the floor in turmoil. Why has he come to the house? Her family withdraw to allow them to have a private conversation. Now, the man had rushed to her house. Matthew tells us that as soon as the angels, the angel tells him the truth, he immediately goes to Mary. Scripture tells the Christmas story in such a sparing way. But I cannot help myself from wondering how that moment of reconciliation between Mary and Joseph went. One pair of hurt eyes looked into another pair of hurt eyes. But there's one little detail in both stories which acts like a bridge a small detail that reassured both Mary and Joseph that the other was telling the truth. I'm talking about the instruction Gabriel gave both of them about how to name the child. You shall call his name Jesus. And in that moment of realization, the two stories locked together. Mary's loneliness and isolation is gone. Joseph's fear of betrayal has evaporated. All that bitterness and distrust caused by her apparent infidelity drains away. And I wonder if she walked across the room into Joseph's embrace, his shoulder wet with her tears. Mary and Joseph could have chosen to walk the usual path of divorce and bitterness. It was their individual faith which led them down the path less traveled by. And that choice, and here's the crucial thing, that choice allowed God to confirm their faith. That's the thing about faith. It's a path that begins with faith alone, but it always ends with faith confirmed. That was such an important lesson for Mary to learn, because there would come a terrible trial in her later life that would require her to walk in faith alone. But even that dark path would have faith confirmed in the end. I want to read you just a few verses from John chapter 19. By this stage in Mary's history, She's probably about 50 years old, a widow, a mother of seven children, probably a grandmother too, and we find her in the darkest of circumstances. John says, standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. There are some startling symmetries between the birth of Christ and the death of Christ. On that first Christmas, Mary's life had been plunged into chaos by an edict from a Roman emperor, a Caesar. Powerless against the might of the Roman Empire, Mary had been forced to undertake that perilous journey to Bethlehem in order to be registered. Now, once again, Mary is at the mercy of the Romans. She has to watch as a Roman execution squad crucify her eldest son. And then she watches another man called Joseph take the body of Jesus down from the cross. He washes Jesus' body, wraps it in strips of linen cloth, and places it in a cold tomb. And Mary would have remembered how years earlier she had washed her infant son, wrapped him in strips of linen cloth, and placed him in a cold manger. Maybe when I was reading those verses, you asked yourself, why did Jesus commend his mother into John's care? There's really only one possible answer. Mary was alone. Her other four sons and her daughters had abandoned her. At this point in the story, they thought Jesus was mad. They had repudiated him completely. So Mary stands at the foot of the cross. 
Perhaps you recall the words of that noble angel, you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And she raises her tired eyes to the inscription written by Pontius Pilate above the cross, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Some throne for a king. A Roman gibbet. Those who walk the usual path must have shrugged their shoulders and put Jesus' death down to bad luck. But Mary chose to walk the path of faith. She had stored up the word of God in her heart. She knew her scriptures, and they gave her the understanding and the strength not to give in to despair. And once again, faith stood alone. But soon, as in the Christmas story, the path of faith reached its destination. Faith was confirmed. It had been a long time since Mary had seen any angels. The shepherds had reported that the skies above Bethlehem had been filled with angels on that first Christmas night. And now, on the dawn of Resurrection Sunday, there's a lot of angelic activity. She sees the empty tomb. Witness after witness tell her that Jesus is alive. And the last time we read about Mary in the New Testament is in Acts chapter 1. And we see her as a leading member of the early church as she worships the ascended Christ. And all her family are with her. Mary got to experience the joy of household salvation, from faith alone to faith confirmed. That poem by Robert Frost that I quoted at the start is helpful. It's a helpful way to think about the choice each of us faces tonight. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. There are two ways you can respond to the Christmas story. Take the usual path and interpret it as a sentimental legend that has its source in a girl getting pregnant and then spinning a yarn about a virgin birth. That was the story told in the taverns of Nazareth. Or you can follow Mary and Joseph along the path less traveled by and find in this unique and strange story an encounter with something really deep and real. Think for a moment about how we find meaning in life. We can take the usual path or the path less traveled by. The usual path is to build an idol and worship it. If that offends you, I'm going to put it in more modern language. Think of our own cultural narrative that tells us that the universe is devoid of meaning. It has no purpose or significance. But it says we can choose to create our own meaning and project it onto the physical world the way a film is projected onto a screen. These days, we don't build our projections out of wood and stone. We use ideas. But it's the same basic concept. Idolatry is the projection of invented meaning onto the blank canvas of the universe. Now, the Christmas story, the story of the incarnation, is the polar opposite of idolatry. The road less traveled by begins by acknowledging that we can never manufacture the transcendent from the mundane. Meaning cannot be invented. It has to be encountered. And now the profound depth of the Christmas story emerges because it is the story of how the transcendent God entered into this mundane world and invited us to find meaning in Him. Heaven has come to us. He is the way, the truth, and the life. So the road less traveled by begins by trusting the character of Christ, and it ends with an encounter with objective truth. Faith alone becomes faith confirmed. Or take another example. Think of, for a moment about what is valuable in life. 
Well, we could take the usual road and say that money and power are the only truly valuable things in life. Just look at a newspaper or the culture wars going on on Twitter, and you'll know that most people think that power and money are the most valuable things in life. But maybe tonight you hesitate as you stand at that fork in the road of your life. You look down the road less traveled by. You listen to the story of the Son of God who chose to be born in poverty, born outside the power structures of this world, the king who was born in a manger, a king so poor that he could say, the foxes of the earth have their holes, the birds of the air have their nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. A king who doesn't enforce his will by the exercise of power, but a gentle man who treats every individual with respect and courtesy. He teaches us and persuades us. He inspires our loyalty rather than crush us underfoot. Travel that pathway and you will have your faith confirmed when you become convinced that power and wealth are false and shabby things in comparison to the moral beauty and the treasures of wisdom to be found in Christ. It turns out that this fork in the road that I've been talking about is not some arbitrary decision matrix for your life. Standing at the crossroads is the cross of Christ. We are forced to interpret Jesus' death in one of two ways. Now we can take the usual path, the one taken by the Roman execution squad, and we can interpret the moment as a bit of bad luck for a decent young man. Or we can follow Mary and interpret the cross as an encounter with something really deep and real. See the Creator enter His own universe and allow His creatures to put Him on trial, literally. A collection of little men, Roman politicians and twisted religious re- rulers. And they put the Creator Himself on trial. And in so doing, they expose the sheer perversity of the human heart. And all the time, Jesus stands in silent nobility. Surrounded by humanity's lovelessness and injustice, he reconciles God's love and justice. He pays the moral debt that each of us have incurred. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Now I wonder, can you see that, my friend? Can you catch a glimpse of the profound rationality of the moral grandeur of the Christian story? That cruel Roman gibbet was a throne. Countless millions of men and women have kneeled at the foot of the cross and acknowledged Christ as their king. They have abandoned the values of the kingdoms of this world and entered into a kingdom based on the values of Christ their king. They took the road less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. Becoming a Christian is a decision that includes the fear of loneliness. Perhaps you've been thinking about becoming a Christian. But your family would be terribly upset if you did. They may even disown you. Or your friendship group might curl their lips in a sneer and turn their backs on you. Well, I'm not going to sugarcoat this Christian faith. It begins as faith alone. You must stand with nothing to hold on to except the Word of God. The night sky will not light up with choirs of angels. You must choose a different path than the one walked by an unbelieving world just as Mary stood at the foot of the cross and had to listen to the brutalized Roman soldiers laugh and curse their good or bad luck. So you must stand in a culture that cannot understand or appreciate faith. Faith stands alone. But listen to me, faith will always be confirmed. God will send his Holy Spirit to take up residence within your personality. And it is the Spirit of God 
who gives us first-person, subjective knowledge of God. And God will place you within a community of faith, a real spiritual family of brothers and sisters. So, we're done. Have the courage to travel the road of faith, knowing that God will always confirm it, and that will make all the difference. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the beauty, the goodness, and the profundity of the Christmas story, that God chooses to enter his own universe as a man. We thank you that the transcendent came into the midst of the mundane. And forgive us, Father, if we have been guilty of idolatry, of trying to invent meaning for our lives projected onto a world devoid of meaning. And help us to see in Christ the source of life, the way, the truth, and the life. And then, Father, as we, like Mary, have to stand at the foot of the cross, and we are forced to make a decision what we think about it, we pray, Lord, that those in this room tonight will see something of the moral grandeur of that moment when the Son of God bore the wrath of God for us, where he paid the moral debt that we incurred so that we could know forgiveness and healing and cleansing and acceptance. And so, Father, for those in this room tonight who perhaps believe that they are living in an alien universe, that they have been thrown into it, that they're controlled by forces too dumb even to know that they exist, pray, Lord, that they would come home to their Father in heaven that they would accept the salvation which Christ came to procure for them and in so doing find peace with God. Continue with us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.